Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 83 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is The Gold Medalist, an interview with Ariane Jones. My name is Richard Johannesick. And I'm Matt Sabatello. Today's podcast guest is Ariane Jones. Ariane Jones is a 29-year-old Olympic athlete and holistic nutritionist from Canada. Ms. Jones competed in the Olympics, and as part of her luge career, she traveled the world competing in 10 Canadian championships and 52 World Cups. She was training up to eight hours a day, six days per week. In May of 2016, this Olympic and world champion athlete couldn't even walk the 15 steps from her couch to her bed. She had flu-like symptoms, dizzy spells, pain in her bones, and a fast heart rate. People told her she was crazy. Three years later, after taking a symptom questionnaire, Ms. Jones scored high for Lyme disease. She had a blood test sent off to Armin Labs in Germany. It came back positive for Lyme and multiple clo infections. Ms. Jones's Lyme journey has changed her life. It inspired her to launch her own brand, which will include online courses and coaching. Welcome to the show, Ariane. Hi, thanks for having me. So can you start by telling us a little bit about your background and where you live? Yeah, so right now I live in Calgary, Alberta in Canada. That's home base right now, even though I've lived a lot of different places before then. And oof, a little bit about my background. That's a, that's a long question. I was an Olympic luge athlete for most of my life. Um, it was my job to be arguably a professional tobogganer, uh, which sounds very fun, and it was, but also incredibly hard work. And then I retired because I actually got sick uh, with Lyme, which we'll talk much more about. And I became a holistic nutritionist and a chef at culinary school in New York City. And now I'm combining all of those worlds into some hopefully awesome projects. So Ariane, I'm going to back up a little bit. Where did you grow up? So I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, um, close to the mountains. And yeah, that was home base for me my whole life. And what was your life like as a child? Did you live the normal life of a, of a young person? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, we, I had a great childhood. You know, my family is very close uh, with my parents and my sister. Very close childhood. I loved school, loved doing lots of activities. I did tons of sports as a kid. Uh, we're very close to the Rocky Mountains. So skiing and skating were uh, very important to my family, as well as knowing how to swim and play soccer and do all of these activities. So I was a very active kid. And I would say the nuance to my family was that we, I grew up actually traveling a lot. Both of my parents were very accomplished travelers. And when they had kids, they said, well, we're not going to stop. So I was so privileged enough to grow up being able to spend time in Places like, you know, Portugal and France and Holland and Fiji and the Cook Islands, uh, which really was such a special experience growing up that I think has shaped me into who I am. So once you graduated high school, what path did your life take you on at that point? So already when I was in high school, I was already competing at a very high level in luge. So I actually started luge when I was 12. And the reason I was able to get into it is because, of course, Calgary had the Winter Olympics in 1988. And so they had an Olympic luge track in the city. And so I got started into it when I was 12 years old and slowly, you know, continued doing the sport and worked my way through the rankings of the program and got better and better. And so when I was in high school, I was actually already on the junior national team. I went to a sports school to allow for the fact that I could travel kind of three to six months a year already at 15, 16 years old over Europe to compete. So when I finished high school, I was right at that barrier of at 18, 19 years old, you kind of age out of the junior national sport program and you have to try and make the national team. So when I finished high school, I had that hard choice to make where all of my friends were going off to traditional university and college. And uh, luge isn't exactly a sport that you can get a university scholarship for or do that sport. You travel so much. So I actually had to make that choice. It was a really big pivot, um, or kind of fork in the road in my path where I had to say, well, am I going to go the traditional route and go to university with all my friends or sacrifice that, I guess you'd call it like first year university experience to try and make the national team and eventually go to the Olympics. 
And I chose to, you know, take a pause from that traditional route and train my butt off in the national program and try and make that national team a year later, which is exactly what I did. Talk to us about what your life was like at this point. You were, you were very active and you lived a go, go, go life as an extrovert. So how did this continue on after high school? What were some of your successes? What were some of your struggles? Can you talk to us about those things? Yeah. So, I mean, from the time that I was kind of, we're talking here, uh, 19 years old till I was 26, I was actually on the Canadian national team for luge. And so my life looked a lot different than I would say a traditional early 20s individual. But I was training for World Cups, World Championships, the Olympics. So my life kind of had two seasons. It had summer and winter. And in summer, uh, we were training in the off season for luge. And so we were training, oh gosh, probably like six, seven hours a day, five to six days a week, whether that was in the gym, lifting weights, doing circuits, playing floor hockey and soccer with our team, doing swimming, going for hikes, tons and tons of training. Um, It was my life was pretty much train, sleep, and eat consistently all summer. And then whenever I had any extra energy on the weekends, it was either more eating and sleeping or it was let's go for a hike as cross training. So it was always extremely active. And then on top of that, I was completely an extrovert. And so whenever I had an ounce of extra energy after pouring my heart and soul into training, I would you know, go for coffee with friends and go see all of my friends because I traveled the other six months of the year. So when I was home, I really enjoyed seeing these people that were really close to me. So very active. And then on top of that, I was, you know, going to sponsor meetings and going to sponsor events. So very, very, very busy. Looking back, probably much too busy, but I didn't really have that insight at the time. Ariane, as you move forward throughout this time, you had some really, really major successes in regards to awards and honors. Can you share with our audience a little bit about what you've accomplished and the awards that you've won? Yeah, so in my sport, to I guess give you a little bit of background, I was very much the underdog in sport. I feel like there's different roles in sport, right? There's kind of the underdog, and then there's like the injured athlete, and then there's like the really talented golden athlete. And I was definitely the underdog. So you can't see me through the podcast, but I'm not a very big person. And so I'm only five foot four versus all of the kind of Europeans and the typical body type in my sport. They're tall, they're heavy, they have kind of like larger builds because luge is a gravity sport. So the heavier you are, obviously the more advantage you have going down the track. So for me, my whole life coming up through sport, I was very much faced with the language of, yeah, like sure, you can try and make the national team, but you're never gonna win a medal. You're never gonna go to the Olympics. Like you're definitely never going to crack top 10. That's just not a reality for you because you're too small. And so from a young age being told like, you're not going to accomplish this. You can't do this by everyone around me. That was incredibly difficult, but I think I chose to use it as fuel kind of went, yeah, just watch me. And so that's exactly what I did. I mean, I made the national team at 19, which was a huge upset that nobody thought I could overcome that barrier. And then at that point, I, in the next five years, competed in 52 World Cups, 10 Canadian championships, five world championships, and the Olympics. So going to the Olympics in 2014 in Russia was such a huge pinnacle of my career. Uh, I mean, going to the Olympics is incredibly extraordinary for any athlete that goes, but it had an extra edge for me because my whole life, everybody in my sport had been telling me that's never going to happen for you. You might as well just give up. So going to the Olympics was such a huge moment. And then in the season following the Olympics, I actually won my first World Cup medal, which again was such a huge pivotal moment. Yes, every athlete remembers winning their first medal, 
But again, for me, because my whole life since the time I was 16, I was being told, you're not big enough, you're not tall enough, you'll never reach that level, you might as well just give up now, for me to stand on that podium knowing that I alone accomplished that was life-changing. So, Aria, you had a lot of doubters in your life, it sounds like, and they counted you out from the get-go, but you just kept fighting and proved them all wrong. Very much so. And to be clear, my family is not in that bubble. I mean, I had the most supportive family and parents that were, you know, did not care at all what results I got, just loved me unconditionally and were so supportive of me. It was very much more individuals in the sport world that, yeah, the whole time since I was about that 16 age of like kind of trying to move from more recreationally doing your sport to very competitively doing your sport that constantly were telling me you're not big enough you know your body and what it is right now isn't enough Um, you're never going to make it to this high level not even doubters but just plain that's not going to happen so it sounds like there's a little bit of foreshadowing here about what you encountered with your career as an Olympian luge athlete to where you are today with your health so after you participated in the 2014 Olympics in Russia You then followed up to win another World Cup medal, and then you had a major accident occur. Can you talk to us about what that was and how it affected your career? Yeah, so in the summer of 2016, I actually broke my back, and that was not fun at all. I broke my back, and after that point, I was told by my neurosurgeons and team of doctors that for 12 weeks, they couldn't tell me if I'd ever be able to do my sport again. So I was allowed to lay and do physio and that's it. And they'd be able then in 12 weeks to revisit the idea if I could even try. So those 12 weeks were a very, very dark period in my life. Um, Not only was I incredibly injured and in so much pain and having to relearn all of these movements again, you know, overnight with this injury, the day before the injury, I was the fittest version I'd ever been of, of myself. And the next day, like, I lost all of these physical functions of, you know, I couldn't stand on two feet and close my eyes without falling over anymore. Like those, those balance, having all your muscles move together. I had to relearn all of those movements and all of those neuro pathways again, which was incredibly difficult. I guess fast forward, I had the most wonderful team of physios that I surrounded myself with and a a healing team. And I completely changed the way I trained and I completely changed my mindset and everything towards luge. And I did actually come back and came back on the national team and started trying to compete again. And then eight months later, after my injury, I won a World Cup gold medal with my teammates in the team relay, which, again, not only did I get to step on the podium, but to step on the top of the podium and to see your flag be raised and to see, to hear your anthem be played because of something you did is a moment that I'll never forget. And on top of it, I had come so far in those eight months from being at the lowest low in my life and not knowing if I'd ever be able to do my sport again. So again, it it seems like every time I've won a medal or have these moments, not only are they huge pivotal moments for me, but they hold even more weight because of the circumstances behind it. So here is now a second time where the doctors never knew if you'd be able to come back to play your sports again. And never mind, you had trouble barely even walking at that point. Within less than a year, you came back and you actually won a, a gold World Cup again after you broke your back. So this is a second time of you coming back after people thought you, there's no way you're going to return from this. Yeah, I guess so. It sounds nice when you say it to me. You know, sometimes when you lived it, you, you know all the nuances and, and it's your life. So it becomes normalized. But it is quite cool, I guess, to hear you echo it back to me. and. And, you know, kind of go like, yeah, I did do that. So you just, you are really a a fighter in in all aspects of your life with your health, with sports, with injuries, with all the obstacles that you face. And now here you are, you're back to where you were 
you've recovered from your back injury, and yet again, you have another health struggle. You start to get sick. So can you talk to us about what occurred from the time you won that award up until you started to get sick again shortly after that? Yes. So I won the Gold World Cup medal at the end of February, and that was actually the last competition of our competitive season. And so I ended the season being like, okay, cool, I'm back. You know, I still had a ton of back pain, but I was like, okay, I'm back. I made it back to the top. Life is good. I did this. Now I can like get back into, you know, quote unquote, normal life for me again and keep training and push towards the next Olympics in 2018 in Korea. And so I had a month off, which is typical. We would always get the month of March off. That was like our one break in the year. So I went away and recovered and went on vacation. And then we started training in April. And right away, things started to be different. And it started with the fact that I was like pulling a muscle like every week of training. Like one week I'd pull my lap. And so then I'd be like, okay, weird. Never really happened to me before, but I guess, you know, my body's getting older. So I won't do upper body this week. I'll do lower body to let it heal. And then I pull my quad and nothing was actually healing once I pulled it. And I was like, okay, this is very strange. This has never happened to my body before. And it kind of felt like it was starting to spiral downwards. And then all of a sudden the like crippling fatigue started and I was so, so incredibly tired. And of course I trained to be an Olympic athlete. Like I knew what being tired felt like. And this was very different. It was that like deep fatigue. And I started like falling asleep on the gym floor, like literally next to people yelling and screaming and beats blaring and weights slamming onto the floor. And I was like nodding off because I was so tired. And I lived a five minute drive away from the gym because I lived at the gym practically at that time in my life. So I wanted to live close and I would leave the gym to drive home five minutes and have to pull over to like fall asleep because I was so exhausted. So that's when those huge red flags started happening for me and no amount of sleep would make it better. Did you seek medical guidance at this point? I mean, these, these are really sort of alarming symptoms compared to where you were in your health previously. So did you go seek any, any doctor's advice to what was the root cause of these symptoms at this time? Yeah, well, at first, kind of my, my trainers and physios were like, okay, well, maybe, you know, you just had a really crazy last year coming back from this injury and you pushed so hard that maybe you're just a bit burnt out. So they actually said, okay, why don't you take a week? and go to the mountains. Like that was my happy place in Canmore, right in the Rocky Mountains where, you know, my family had a place. And so they said, go to the mountains for a week, don't train, rest, sleep, and then come back. And of course I'm talking about my whole career. I've never had a week off like that ever. So I was like, oh yeah, great. This is going to fix it. So I literally went to the mountains and I probably slept 18 hours a day for a week. And I came back just as tired as when I left. And that's when I was like, okay, I was starting to get these inklings that something is very off here. Um, and that's actually right around the time that these huge episodes started to begin. So could you walk us through the next steps? You started to have these really huge episodes and your symptoms began to worsen. So can you talk to us about what these symptoms were and how you chose to handle them with your medical team? Yeah. So I started having these episodes. So it started, you know, one evening after training, all of a sudden I was like, oh, wow, I'm, I feel like I'm getting the flu. And I started getting that like full body, deep ague ache where like, I didn't want anything to touch me. And I was so sore and like my brain was really foggy and I couldn't breathe very well. And so in my mind, I thought like, oh shoot, I'm getting the flu. So I went to bed, woke up the next morning and felt even worse. So I called my trainers and I said, Hey, I had the flu. I'm not coming to training. And so then I just spent that whole day like eating lots of really nutritious food and hydrating and like sleeping all day and resting. And then the next day I actually woke up and I felt quite a bit better. So I was like, in my mind, it's like, cool, I kicked the flu, you know, like I listened to my body and I rested and I did all the things and I got over it. Cool. So then I went back to training and I trained for about a week and then it happened again. And I got this episode except this time it was a little bit worse. And it also came with nerve pain down my arms and 
it came with like a really, really like deep pain in my chest and I was having a hard time breathing. But again, I kind of did all the healthy things for 24 hours and then I felt better. And so again, I went back to training. And then the next week it happened again. And at that point I was like, okay, this was not the flu. Something else was going on. And at this point, one, the episodes were getting more severe. And two, I wasn't bouncing back from them the next day. But the first time it happened, I kind of bounced back to, to arguably normal, like that fatigued normal that I was having. But after this third one, like I was just a shell of a human afterwards. And I was still left with like this body pain and I really couldn't breathe very well at all. And I felt like I was living at elevation. My brain was so foggy. I like couldn't think straight. And that's when I went to kind of to my trainers, to my physios, to my doctors. And I said, Hey, I'm really scared. Something really scary is happening in my body and I don't know what it is. And something's really wrong. Did you not go to doctors prior to this because your trainers that you had so much faith and trust in were telling you it was just a sports related injury. You were just stressed. You just got the flu and you were listening to their advice rather than going to seek medical guidance. Yeah. I mean, it, this all was happening also between like a three week period. I may have made that sound like it was like months, but it was only about three weeks. And so, yeah, I wasn't going to the doctors because I didn't normally, like if I got the flu, it was like, okay, go home, rest, come back when you're healthy. Okay. You're tired. Probably from all these injuries. Like, yeah, I had so much faith in kind of my trainers and my physios and they knew my body so well. And I knew my body so well that I was like, yeah, I'm just going to rest this through. But after kind of at this about three week point, that's when finally they sent me to kind of like my sports medicine doctor. And that's when we really started like escalating the severity of this very quickly. And at first, like I, cause I had all this like very, very deep pain was kind of, it would always start actually in my T-spine um, to kind of like the upper part of my spine is where all that pain would always originate. And it would kind of spread through my body from that spot and so because of that, of course, being in sport and having had a spinal injury, immediately I was getting x-rays on my spine and MRIs on my spine because everyone was worried that I was having another um, like spinal cord injury that because I've had that before in typical sport, when things go wrong, you're looking at very like physiological injuries. Have you torn something? Have you broken something? All of that. And that's kind of where we started. But then of course, as we know now, all of those pieces were coming back normal. Just like, no, your spine looks good. Everything in your body looks good. And, but that's when I started. I was like, no, something's really, really wrong. And unfortunately, I had some people who believed me and some people who didn't. And that was like completely world rocking for me. The fact that I had some individuals of coaches and trainers that I told this and they said, well, I think you should go talk to the sports psych to be told that that was arguably in my head was just completely devastating. So let's talk a little bit more about this because it's unfortunately something that happens to almost all people with Lyme disease where when they have their, all of these tests run and they come back that you're fine, their doctors, their friends, their family in some cases say, it's just in your head and it's a psychological issue. So what impact did that have on you personally? Were you doubting whether or not you had a real physical illness? Were you saying, no, I know I'm sick and we need to get to the bottom of this? And what real impact did it have on you having all these people sort of turn on you at this point in your life? It, I don't even think I have the right words to explain how devastating that was. Because first of all, thank God, like my family and my boyfriend who I've been with for a really long time, they could very clearly see, okay, something is super wrong here. And they were very worried about me. But when I told trainers and coaches that they had been in charge of my body for the last decade, you know, they created my program. They worked with me to create all of these pieces to becoming an Olympic athlete. And when your athlete comes to you, and I was also the athlete that, because of course I was told for so many years, you're never going to make it. I was like first one in the gym, last one in the gym. I was never missing sessions. I was always doing extra reps because I had to, to be there to compete. And when that athlete is telling you, I'm really scared and something's super wrong and you hear back, you should go see your sports psych. Like I 
yeah, I can't even explain how hard that was. It, to put it into perspective, it took a relationship that I've built for 10 years with these individuals and shattered it on the spot. And every ounce of trust and respect that we built, when I really needed that person to stand up with me, they weren't there. And that completely ended that relationship. And I mean, to my coaches, I said, you know, hey, something's really wrong. Like, I can't train. I'm really sick. I don't know what's going on. And I was faced with the language where they said, yeah, you know, I mean, don't feel too bad. Like, some athletes just can't really cut it for that long. And that was so shocking to me because I just, I, like, wanted to scream at them and say, like, what do you mean I can't cut it? Literally two months ago, I won a gold medal. Like, I was the best at that moment. And now you're like, well, well, you can't cut it. See you later. You had a good run. And which is even more devastating is the fact that because I think a lot of people can relate to this. I was so exhausted. I was felt so sick. I didn't even have a shred of energy to fight back on that. Like, I think had I, you know, of course, now if I'm healthier, I would have fought back on my behalf. But I was such a shell of a human that it just kind of further devastated me. And I couldn't even fight for myself, which makes those situations even more painful. I think one of the things that you put into your pre-interview questionnaire is just so powerful that you were an Olympic athlete. You were one of the best athletes in the world. And then not even three weeks later, you're having difficulty walking up the stairs without having difficulty breathing. So that really puts it into perspective that somebody who is the epitome of health and fitness like you within several weeks can be almost crippled by Lyme disease and its co-infections. Yeah, exactly. You know, just a few weeks prior, like I said, like one, I'd been on top of the podium, but even like awards aside, you know, I was the strongest version of myself I'd ever been. I could lift like well above my body weight in all of these exercises. I could do 15 pull-ups in 30 seconds. I was like, my body was so fit and I was one of the fastest starters in the entire world. And yeah, within a span of weeks, I literally couldn't walk up the stairs in the gym to the change room without getting to the top of the stairs and having to sit down to catch my breath as if I just run the hardest sprint workout of my life. And that to me was completely life shattering. Ariane, one question I have for you is, you mentioned your boyfriend and, and was this your boyfriend that you've had since before you were sick? He was with, was he with you throughout your successes and also your now your health crisis? Yes. So my boyfriend, Jeff, he was also an Olympic luge athlete. He competed in the 2006 and the 2010 Olympics. So we met through luge and we started dating when I was 20. And so he, we were together through the, call it like the really high times of training for luge and going to the Olympics and winning medals. And then was also by my side through all of the health challenges, the injuries, everything. So was he and your family, they never doubted you that you were really physically sick, you mentioned. So they always stuck by your side and believed you. Is that correct? Yes, which I'm so grateful for. Like I know that a lot of individual stories are even that where their families don't believe them. For me, I feel so fortunate that Jeff and my family completely believed me and were really worried about me. And I think because I had such that, I had such a great relationship with them to start with. And I was always that like fighter and like, no, I'm fine. And I'm going to overcome this. And of course it was such a drastic slide. Like I, all I did was train all day, every day. And all of a sudden all I could do was sleep. It was very clear to them that something was very wrong. And so I, you know, I think with most people, they have that, like some family members that don't believe them and some people that support them. And I guess I had that just in a different way where I had my, biological family, my parents, my sister, my, you know, boyfriend, my person, they all believed me. But yet my sport family was the ones that didn't believe me. Except of course I had like a really key physio that did believe me, then kind of connected me with a sport physiologist that did. But my 
my sport family, which I'd arguably spend more time with in the last decade of my life, they were the ones that didn't take it seriously. So you were sick for over or almost three years from the time you first started getting these symptoms from, from Lyme disease, but you didn't know at the time. And as this time progressed, did you ever doubt whether or not you had a real physical illness? Did you ever have doubts that maybe it was a mental health issue? Or did you always stand firm because of the support of your family and just the, the driven person that you are that there was a deeper cause to your symptoms? Yeah, no, I, I knew something was very wrong. I was a thousand percent clear that this was not in my head because I've been training since I was 15 to pretty much get in tune and listen to my body. That was my job. My body was my job. And I knew without a shred of a doubt, this is not in my head. This is my body. And it also helped too that, of course, I had, I worked with a sports site throughout my whole career and I'd worked with him since I was 16 up till this point so you know I think there was like one moment of a doubt when that trainer said like maybe you should go see your sports psych and I just like was so devastated but then I was like okay well maybe I'll go see him anyways because like maybe he has some insight into this you know like I had that shred of a moment of like well I don't know like can your mind make you this sick like like I actually had no idea because I was in such uncharted territory and because he knew me so well I went and explained all this stuff to him and I'm so grateful that he was one person that he said, yeah, I don't know what's wrong, but I know you and this is 0% in your head. And so that just reaffirms to me, like, no, something has gone wrong in my body. Other than your, your sports family suggesting that this was a mental health issue, were there any other misdiagnoses prior to your Lyme diagnosis? Yeah, there was. So, I mean... First of all, I didn't really tell a lot of my friends at this point because, and kind of friends and that network, because it was so shattering for me to arguably have been told I was crazy by trainers and coaches. I was so weak, I couldn't handle being told I was crazy by anyone else. So I pretty much just like didn't tell anybody else um, and just like mysteriously faded out of the scene. But I wasn't. I guess I was like kind of misdiagnosed, but at this point, everyone was like, oh, I guess you were just overtrained. So I got that from a sport perspective. I started seeing kind of a set of like functional medicine doctors and they were like, oh, it looks like, I mean, my adrenals were completely shot. And so they were like, yeah, I guess you have like adrenal fatigue and you have no vitamins and minerals left in your body. So they saw all those surface pieces, which were all just symptoms of the Lyme, but we didn't know that. So they just said, you know, you have adrenal fatigue, you trained so hard in sports that you used up all your vitamins and minerals and you didn't take enough. So you're just very depleted in your body. You know, some people started to throw around the words like, oh, maybe you have chronic fatigue. I did go to see a, now I'm forgetting the word, like a doctor that kind of specializes in autoimmune because of course, as typical of Lyme, you know, my sport doctor, he, he agreed something was wrong. And he said, you know, yes, something is wrong. It's your blood work looks all out of whack. Your blood work changes every two weeks when you take it. But he was like, but this is out of my field. and I don't know what's wrong. So he sent me to kind of an autoimmune doctor to see if there was any of those. And I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing to not have been diagnosed with something. But he said he didn't diagnose me with anything. But he just said, you don't have any of these things, but I don't know what's wrong. See you later. And unfortunately, that's not, that's not uncommon for people to be sent to a rheumatologist who specializes in autoimmune diseases and then be told either they have something like lupus or another autoimmune disease or, you know, your, your levels are off the charts, but we have no idea what's wrong with you. So it's, it's just something that I think most of us go through. And it's just unfortunate that it takes us through this long, arduous process to finally get a proper Lyme diagnosis. And, and on that note, so... Now, at the end of this three-year window, which is now bringing us up until about March of last year in 2019, can you walk us through what made you think Lyme disease and what doctor you partnered with to get that diagnosis? Yeah. So I guess in a nutshell, like when I got sick in sport, that was the reason I ended up having to retire, even though I didn't know it was Lyme. I was so sick. I just kind of like, was like, I can't train anymore and had to retire, which was so devastating in itself to feel like that decision was a bit out of my control. And then I went and did, you know, got all my school for being a holistic nutritionist because I 
kind of came out in sport and was like, I need to do, I need to do something, even though I was so sick and nutrition had become so um, mind-blowingly interesting to me when I broke my back because I used it to help my body heal and it had such profound impacts. So I went and, you know, took all this school and then I was doing a lot throughout kind of that year to like try and get better. You know, I talked about the adrenals. So I was like balancing my adrenals and I was taking a whole bunch of vitamins and minerals and I was, you know, I lost the ability to do anything physical. So you can imagine how hard that was mentally that my whole life was physical. And then all the things I loved to do on top of training was hiking, biking, swimming, surfing. They were all physical and I couldn't do any of that anymore. All I could do was walk for like 30 to 45 minutes a day. And that was it. And so I would do that every day. And after about a year and a half, I did start getting better. I mean, it makes sense that like I was balancing my adrenals and my hormones, I had vitamins in me and I just slept a ton that I did start getting a little bit better. And so I wasn't having these huge episodes anymore. So I feel like even though something was very wrong, since so many people couldn't tell you what it was, I was just kind of like, okay, well, typical athlete mentality, I think, like just ignore all this pain and just like get on with your life. So at that point, I decided to actually, I was like, I found this program. It was an incredible culinary school called the National Gourmet Institute in New York City in Manhattan. And I was like, I'm going to go move to New York and take this program because I'm obsessed with food and how incredible it can make you feel and, you know, help you to heal your body and help you perform and feel your best. So I went to that school. And again, like, I think from the outside, people look at me during that time in New York and they, if someone didn't know me, they wouldn't have been able to tell anything was wrong um, because I was still energetic and at school every day and doing all these things. But that was, I completely had a mask over it. Like I was having all these symptoms. I would go home every night and just be like dead, exhausted. I was slowly starting to get all these symptoms back of like neuropathies down my arms and heart palpitations. And like, it was getting hard to breathe again. But again, I just didn't tell anybody because I was so afraid of people just calling me crazy again. I just couldn't handle that, that I just kind of like shoved it all down and kept on with my life. And yes, I could do school, but like, again, for someone that did an activity, like exercise, all day, every day for my life, I still couldn't do any of that. Like I would get up every morning and I would walk in the park because that at least kept me like, it kept a shred of sanity that I could walk and get fresh air and I would just go to school. So everyone thought that life was normal for me, but I was very much still had a mask on of like incredibly lonely because nobody understood what I was going through, incredibly scared because I was always still scared these episodes were going to come back. And I think my gut instinct was clearly screaming at me, something's still wrong. And I was just trying to ignore that. Anyways, so I finished school in New York and my internship at a magazine and I had to leave the U.S. because of visa purposes and come back to Canada. So I moved back to Canada in November of 2018. And literally probably three days after I moved home, I had those huge crippling episodes again come back. And that to me was earth shatteringly devastating again, because at least in my mind, like, even though I wasn't doing well, I kind of thought like, okay, I haven't had these big, scary episodes in a while. So at least I'm slowly getting better. Maybe I'm on the right path. And they all came back with a vengeance. And at that point, my family and my, well, at this point, fiance and I said, like, we got to figure this out. And so we actually went back to this team of doctors in Calgary, and they're all um, like MDs from South Africa, but they're also functional medicine doctors. And I went back to that doctor that I'd been seeing before who was helping me with adrenals and vitamins. And I said, hey, all of this is back. I'm super scared. Something's wrong. And that's when she thought about it for a while. And she said, you know, it sounds like you're having like a crazy immune response to something. To which, of course, I was like, what do you mean an immune response? Like, I feel like, <laughs> like, achy and pain and I can't breathe and my brain doesn't work like immune response like that seems crazy but she said you know will you just fill out this questionnaire for Lyme so I said yeah I mean yeah sure so I filled out this questionnaire and she said it was the questionnaire from the Armin labs in Germany and she said if you have a score 
of four or above, we at least just need to put lime on the table for discussion. So I said, okay, great. I filled out this questionnaire and my score was 14. And that's when she was like, okay, we need to send blood to this lab in Germany and test for Lyme. And so we did that test and, but then it takes a while to come back. Like at least to Canada, it took a few months. And so I was just in this waiting game for kind of January, February. And I didn't really keep my hopes up because at this point I'd been tested so many things where doctors were like, yep, we're going to test this thing. And of course I would go to the appointment and they would be like, nope, not that. I'm not sure what's wrong. So I kind of, I feel like for my sanity had gotten into this protective place where in March of 2019, so not that long ago, I went into this appointment to get the results. And I very much went in with, I guess, kind of an apathetic feel of, yeah, they're just going to tell me it's not that either. And I'm going to have to move on. And I think I was just putting that armor on to protect myself from being so devastated again. But I walked in and the doctor was like, yeah, so you have Lyme and all these co-infections. To which, of course, I was mind blown because I was like, wait, how can I have all of those things we tested for? And what are those things? And I knew nothing about Lyme. And so I definitely came home pretty shell-shocked from that. Let's talk about what that was like emotionally. You've been almost you know, debilitated and, and sick for over approximately three years. And now you finally know the root cause of all of your symptoms. What was that like for you emotionally? Oh, a roller coaster, <laughs> I think maybe is probably the right word. I mean, I was in complete shock and disbelief when I left. Like, I think I went into shock when I left that doctor's appointment. Um, of course, I went to the doctor's appointment alone because I, well, most doctor's appointments, they were like, oh, not that. So I didn't feel the need to like bring someone with me to help me listen. So I left alone and just like sat in my car and just like complete silence and complete shock. And then of course I called my fiance at the time, followed by my mom and, you know, kind of like my parents and my sister. And, you know, I said to my fiance, I said, I, I told him the news. And I mean, everybody was in disbelief because you feel so many emotions of like at a moment you obviously don't want to have Lyme. So like you never want to get diagnosed with something like that. So you're sad you have that. But at the same time, it was actually incredibly relieving to have a diagnosis. And so I was actually really happy to have that news. And I think my sister put it in such like poetic terms where she said to me, you know, now at least your enemy has a face and a name. And I thought that was so poetic to think of because yes, you, I think before in my life, it felt like as if I was in a room and there was a whole wall of like puzzle boxes and I had all these mystery symptoms that were like one puzzle piece from all these different boxes. And so to get better, it felt like I was, I had to look through a thousand puzzles with a thousand pieces and nobody knew where to start. And yes, Lyme is a very complicated puzzle, but it felt like I was given like one puzzle box. It's like, yes, this is complicated to figure out, but we at least know a path to start. And I know what this looks like. And I know how to move forward here-ish. And so I was sad to have Lyme, but honestly, more than anything, I was relieved to have answers to be able to hopefully move forward with my life. Ariane, at this point, did you realize how how hard it was going to be to treat chronic Lyme? Because you've you've been you had Lyme for at least three years. It could have been dormant in your system for probably much longer. So now that this bacteria and from Lyme and the other co-infections have really, you know, disseminated throughout your body and now they're deep within your body, did you realize how long of a battle this was going to be to now recover? Or did you really not know much about Lyme at the time when you got your diagnosis? I knew literally zero about Lyme actually zero percent of information on it and so I was just so happy to have a diagnosis like I said I was so relieved and it was also so nice to have this word so that I could actually tell people like no I am this way because I have this thing instead of just not telling anybody and living like a very false life and completely having a mask on and never being authentic I could finally like be authentic and say like no I have this thing and people hopefully wouldn't say you're crazy 
Um, but I knew nothing about Lyme. Like I knew nobody that had it. I knew nothing about it. I was so confused when she told me because I was like, wait, I didn't have a tick bite. Like I didn't have a bullseye. Because I think that's all anybody knows is like, oh, did you have a bite with a bullseye? And which, as you and I know, is such misinformation that you you don't have to have that. And very few percent of people have that to have Lyme. But I had no knowledge of it. What are your next steps to now treat this disease that finally has a name that has been the cause of all of your symptoms? Well, I definitely went home. And once I kind of came out of Shaw, just did a really deep dive into research. So I started researching, my fiance started researching, my mom started researching a ton because all of us just needed more information. So I would buy a lot of books and documentaries and just like trying to get as much information as I could. And then I had a quick, you know, my doctor was very smart, was like, I need to give you this info. Uh, you know, my functional medicine doctor. And she said, now go home and process and then like come back in a week. We're actually going to talk about it at that point, which was so helpful because I think she realized like this is going to be shocking for you and you're not going to hear anything I'm going to say afterwards. So like go process, go research and then come back. And so um, I'm so grateful to have my doctor that I do because she was also very smart in the way that she said, you know, she, I learned a lot about it. And I'm so happy that I have all of my nutrition school because that school taught me like how to research. I learned like how to research proper scientific evidence, how to, you know, kind of take all this information and narrow it down into information I could use. And so I'm so glad I had that, that schooling. And of course, with my nutrition schooling, I had all this knowledge of, you know, biology, organic chemistry, and how the body worked. So all of these more like complicated books and scientific information on it, I could understand and really break down. And therefore, when I went to my doctor that next week, I had I could understand everything she was saying. And I had like really strategic, detailed questions about how the body functions with Lyme to ask. So I'm so happy that I had that knowledge and so grateful for that. Because it took at least one barrier of mystery off of it that I at least understood all these complicated terms about my body. But yeah, I went back to her and that's where she said, you know, she said, in my opinion, doing the traditional antibiotic approach is not going to be my first course of action with you because she said, you know, like you just mentioned, you've had this for at least three years, maybe longer. And so it's not it's now chronic. And most of my symptoms at this point were symptoms in my central nervous system. So like it was clearly in my nervous system. It wasn't just floating around my blood. And I actually luckily didn't have any gut symptoms. My digestive system worked really well. So because of that, she was like, if we put you on these high dose antibiotics, one, it's not going to kill it. And two, all it's going to do is ruin your gut, which is the one body system that seems to be working well right now. So that's where she said, you know, we need to take a much more holistic approach to this. And her view, which echoed what I thought about health in the body as well, was first off, like without even treating the Lyme, my body, of course, because I've been sick for so long, like all my body systems were just in shambles. So she said, we have to rebuild, you know, your hormones are completely out of whack. Your adrenals are completely burnt out again. Again, I had no vitamins and minerals left in me because, of course, my immune system was just constantly pumping through them and using them. My immune system was so depressed. So she said, you know, first off, we're going to try and treat these co-infections and lower that viral load on your body because that's at least going to help take some load off of your immune system. And those co-infections are typically much easier to treat than Lyme. So we started doing kind of some some herbs and like ozone therapy to get rid of those co-infections while at the same time actually just boosting up my adrenals, my immune system, you know, supporting my nervous system, supporting all those body systems. Because in her view, she was like, Lyme is very tricky, as we all know. And so we need to get the rest of your body in like optimal fighting shape so that it can help us get rid of the Lyme and do what it's meant to do which is, you know, your body wants to be healthy. It wants to do everything it can. But right now you're just so depleted of everything. So we need to build you back up again, which is completely what I needed to do because I was, as I call it, a fragile flower. Like 
to be, you know, you mentioned it before in sport, I was like this fighter. I had so much strength and perseverance and tenacity. And I was the most fragile flower. It felt like, you know, a cold day, a, a breeze, uh, eating the wrong thing, a having one glass of wine, a going for a strenuous walk, all of these things would just knock me completely down and I'd be smashed for days. So she was like, we need to get you some resilience back before we do anything else. Ariane, so at this point, you're now focusing on rebuilding your body and knocking out some of the viral load that's there to get your body strong enough to eventually treat the Lyme. And many of these therapies traditionally aren't covered by insurance because they're, they're more holistic therapy. So did you have to pay for all of this treatment and medical appointments out of your pocket? A hundred percent. Yeah, it's very expensive. I mean, even to, to fund the medical expenses up until the point when to even get diagnosed with Lyme was incredibly expensive. And yeah, because it's so not recognized by so many medical boards, none of this is covered by insurance. None of it, like not one bit. And I'm talking spending like tens of thousands of dollars trying to get better. So now, although you've been on treatment for less than a year, I believe, because this was March of last year. So did you progress any further than being on these herbs and taking vitamins and strengthening your adrenals and really building up your body as a whole? Or are you still at the tail end of that phase right now of your treatment protocol? Yeah. So I would actually say I'm kind of at the tail end of that. So in the summer, you know, we started, of course, doing this, trying to get rid of all these co-infections. And that was honestly a horrible experience for me. I feel like I call last summer rock bottom summer and I was rock bottom physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually on every single level. Level, I was completely rock bottom. It felt like I was I got even thicker and that like every bit of even my identity was like shattered on the ground and I was having to like rebuild myself up from there. So then in the fall I started getting a little bit stronger you know, so I was you're taking these herbs, trying to get rid of the viral load. Um, I was doing intravenous ozone therapy, which has actually been the only therapy and everybody's different. But for me, that actually makes me feel so much better, like almost instantly. So we were doing that because it was the only thing that was actually making me feel better and taking away some of my symptoms um, and making me feel less like I was concussed because I feel like I lived it felt like I was concussed all the time. Like my head hurt so much in one specific spot. I had brain fog. I was sensitive to light and sound and movement. Being in a car was like nauseating. And so the ozone helped so much with those symptoms. And then so through the fall, it was just like really high dose. I was finally able to tolerate some IV vitamins. I had to take them all orally because I like couldn't even tolerate the IV. That was too much for my body. So I started to be able to tolerate that. and. I, you know, kind of then at that point, actually, like just this winter, got an infrared sauna in my house to start helping with like detox pathways. So I'd say like where I am now, I actually do feel so much better on the upside. I'm so happy to say like I haven't had any of those huge, terrifying, scary episodes now in probably since September. So what's that? Five months which is really exciting for me. I feel like I have a bit of resilience back. I feel like I have my personality back when you're so sick, like your personality even goes away. Like you don't even have the energy to be yourself or talk to people. And I have the ability now to like do a little bit of physical activity again, which is just such a positive feedback loop for me because that's what makes me happiest. And then you get filled with endorphins. And I think that's so healing for me. So to be able to do little bits of physical activity is so helpful too for my mental health. So at the point I'm at now, like I do feel like some of these with testing, some of my body systems are a bit more balanced. Uh, we actually just did some tests recently again, which came up with a test for something called SIRS, like C-I-R-S, and it's chronic inflammatory response syndrome. And it my doctors wanted to test for that because she said, you know, I said, I don't want to, I want to make sure we're not chasing a rabbit down the wrong hole. And what SIRS means is that your body has been sick for so long that some of the feedback loops in your body get stuck on. 
and you're just, your body is chronically inflamed and you have these inflammatory cytokines like pumping through your body at all times and your brain is inflamed and all of that. So she said, I at least want to make sure we do this test to make sure we're like, we have all the information we need. And that test actually just recently came back and it was positive for SIRS. And so she was like, yep, a hundred percent of that is feeding into some of these symptoms you're getting. So I'm at the point now where we are treating simultaneously kind of like the Lyme and the SIRS. And so she said, I need you to give me like two months to work more on the SIRS because that means like your immune system is all in whack. My nervous system is like completely out of whack, which is so much the symptoms that I get. Your brain is inflamed. So she says, let's do that for kind of two months. And then we're also going to add on the herbs again, where I'm kind of at the spot now where my doctor and my naturopath and herbalist, they feel like, okay, then we'll add in the herbs that actually target the Lyme specifically. So that's kind of the step that I'm at next, which is exciting to be there finally, and also scary because I can't tell you the end of my story, right? Like I don't have the full picture for you yet. And that is terrifying. Ariane, what are you doing to treat the SIRS right now? So I think inflammation and chronic inflammation is very common with people with Lyme disease because it is a symptom of Lyme, but it also, as you mentioned, could be this, this feedback loop where you just, your body's stuck in this pattern of inflammation. So how are you working with your doctors to treat that chronic inflammation, which many, many people with Lyme disease experience? Yeah. So actually the positive thing with SIRS, which sounds so funny to say, but you know, with Lyme, of course, we were like, let's try these pads. And right at the beginning, like three of those pads made me so much sicker. And we were like, okay, let's change course. Let's try another one. And, you know, like we've talked about, there's no just here's plan A through Z on how to treat Lyme. It's so complicated. With SIRS, what my fun- functional medicine doctor has started to educate me in is that Dr. Shoemaker, I believe is his name, is the one, kind of one of the leading researchers in SIRS. And he kind of has created this pyramid of treatment where he's found, and my doctor's actually treated other people with this. And what she's found is there's this like very step-by-step-by-step approach that actually does work to get you better. And that was like so comforting for me to be able to hear her say, because of course at first when she said, yeah, you have this too. I kind of was like, well, what the hell? Like, how can I have all of the things? But she said, you know, yes, but this one has this, like, we're going to do this step, we're going to do this step, and you, we're going to follow his protocol, and you are going to get better from this. So to have at least one piece of what's going wrong in my body, have a protocol to follow is so helpful. So I would say, like, there's a lot of information on it online on Dr. Shoemaker's service protocol, and she's running me through it. So I've only just started, and right now it's very supplement-based. So it's, like, very high-dose specific oils on my body, and some actually like small antibiotic dose that's actually like a nasal spray because they found like I had this very, very deep, almost like staph infection in my nasal cavity. So it's getting rid of that first. And actually some of the first steps of that pyramid I've already done, which is great. So some of the first steps of that pyramid for SIRS and as well for Lyme have been like getting rid of EMS, like electromagnetic fields around you. Um, cleaning up your diet, eating like no gluten, no dairy, very anti-inflammatory diet, trying to lower cortisol in your body. So incorporating like yoga or meditation or whatever can lower your cortisol. Those are actually all this base of the pyramid. And I had been lucky enough that in the past three years, and because my world was kind of in like holistic health, I had incorporated those things actually on my own via gut instinct, where I was like, I think I need to take out these foods and all of those pieces would make me feel just like slightly better. So I'd actually already incorporated all of those more like holistic full picture modalities. And now we're kind of working through like the supplement medication steps up through this process. So there's this recurring theme that keeps coming back with you, Ariane, where last summer you are down for the count. You're, you're the worst you've ever been. And this is all a result of treating the, the Lyme or really rebuilding your body. But yet here you are, not even a year later, and you've come back so far. And just clearly speaking with you on this interview today, we've seen how much you've grown and how much your brain fog has dissipated. It's just amazing to see. So here's that theme again of you overcoming these obstacles where it seems like there's no end in sight and there's no real solution, but yet you're a fighter and you come through and you're, you're not there yet, but you're almost at the end of this journey to, to heal from Lyme disease. So it's really inspiring to see that. I'm going to end with asking you one final question. 
if you woke up tomorrow and found a tick biting you on the leg, what would you do? Oh, God. I feel like you saying that gave me, like, a full stress response over here. I, I mean, of course, I think it's naive to be like, I would feel in control and whatever. I would panic, for sure, because that's what started this whole journey. But then I would panic, and then I would calm myself down, and I think at this point, I would remove the tick and keep it and send it off to, depending wherever in the world I am, the appropriate center to get it tested. And before that even came back, like I would immediately be on the phone calling my team of doctors that I have so much trust for, telling them what happened and saying, what do we do right now in this moment? Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with Ariane Jones. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Ariane Jones, please visit our Instagram at jonesariane. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. Third, we here at Tick Bootcamp have created a Tick Bite Blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by our past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at www.tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. We would appreciate it if you would contact us with any suggestions you have for improvements. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play Music, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our listeners, for your comments on our past podcast episodes. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews we get. Thank you for listening.